welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, my guest, actually, we have two guests, but we're going to start with Ken Fickett, who Ken, uh, if you don't know him already, is the founder and president of Mirage Manufacturing. They make the Great Harbor Trawlers. Um, and my second guest will also be talking a little bit on this, the same type of topic, but we've got someone from a commercial trucking company. Um, where we're going here, as you know, if you've been listening, is a series of podcasts on what to do in 2020 when the Illinois waterway is closed during the prime looper season, July 1st through October 31st. So of course, one of the options is to pull the boat out of the water, move it over the roads and drop it back in, in a place that you can continue your loop. So that's our focus today. Before we jump in and I introduce Ken, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral level sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes and Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And I would like to introduce another one of our sponsors, Great Harbor Trawlers, and Ken Fickett, founder and president. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, Kim. Good to be with you today. Yeah, we really appreciate your time. We know how busy you are. Um, let's start for those who maybe are not familiar with you or the Great Harbor Trawlers. Tell us about you and the beautiful boats that you manufacture. Well, Kim, you know, I grew up in Miami and uh, there was a boat builder right next door to us. And I started out sweeping chips out of commercial wooden fishing boats back in the 50s. And uh, I was a, a little teeny kid and I could get in there and sweep those chips out and and then go back in and paint it, which was probably with some very nasty red lead paint. But so far, <laughs> I've managed to live to tell about it. And it hasn't been a problem. In uh, 1971, I started Mirage Manufacturing, and we're one of the few builders out there that has had a pretty good run in sailboats, sport fishing boats, trawlers, uh, you name it, really basically everything from canoes and kayaks up to big ocean-going trawlers. Right. And of course now, you know, our main focus is with the TT35 trailerable boat although we still do build our big Great Harbor trawlers. Yes, and the, the N47, every time one shows up at one of our rendezvous, gets a whole lot of attention. Um, people always go, can that really get under the bridges on the loop? And of course it can. We've had several do it. Uh, but we are focusing today on trailerable boats because we have this issue with the Illinois waterway locks closing. Uh, so, of course, one way to continue your loop in, in 2020, particularly if you haven't bought your boat yet is to look for something that is trailerable. So there's been a lot more interest in doing the loop aboard a trailerable boat in the past few years. And of course, Great Harbor has one out now. Why do you think that they've become so popular? You know, Kim, we watched the market kind of move around a bit. And, uh, you know, when we had the big recession, a lot of people were kind of forced into a little bit of a tougher situation. A lot of them had to go back to work, leaving their boats uh, at, at marinas and in, in places that were you know, sucking up a lot of money. And they're paying insurance, they're paying uh, dockage, and, and they're back at work uh, making a living, trying to support things and trying to replenish their 401 that evaporated underneath them. So we saw a considerable downsizing in the marketplace. 
um, the bigger trawlers had fallen off dramatically for everybody in the industry. And we felt that having had a number of those big trawlers in the water ourselves for our brokerage, for our, uh, rather our uh, uh, charter business, we said, wow, this is really taking a hit. Um, it would be really sweet to be able to pull these things out of the water, get them home, store them in the backyard, and drop a huge amount of cost out of the whole program. And again, it was all kind of a function of downsizing and folks realistically not having quite as much money as they did before. So whereas we saw a lot of people prior to the recession making a ton of money on their house when they sold it and putting that into a big liveaboard, uh, as things changed, the market changed with it and people were looking at boats that were a little less expensive and that were going to have considerably less upkeep and overhead. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of sketched out the TT35 and I did what I've always done, which is to uh, work on a design that was going to meet the criteria that we wanted. And my best uh, partner for that's my wife, who has literally uh, probably a couple hundred thousand miles cruising with me. And, and I knew that she knew probably far more about accommodations and such than I did. And so we worked right hand in glove to come up with a boat that was going to be uh, good for a couple to cruise in and, uh, you know, that had all of the things that we needed there and not any of the extra stuff mm-hmm. uh, like we had in our big trawlers. Yeah. So, well, you know, a lot of it is just that a little the bit. whole downsizing kind of thing. Yeah. And, and, and it makes complete sense. Let, let's talk about the actual, the downsizing, essentially. You know, a lot of trawlers are very big boats. Um, of course, if you are moving to something that's trailerable, it's going to be smaller. So a lot of boaters think that they're really giving up a lot and they're certainly giving up some space. Um, but what's your response to the idea that you're giving something up when you're going to a trailerable trawler or tug? Well, you know, look, realistically, yeah, you probably are. But if you look at what's important to you as a cruiser, I don't know that you're giving up anything. Um, You know, realistically, you need a good place to sleep. You need a good uh, head and shower on the boat and you need a good place to cook. Now, all the rest of the stuff is gravy. Uh, You know, our great harbors tend to end up being kind of a focal point uh, when they're anchored out. Everybody wants to go over and, uh, you know, have the have the party on the Great Harbor because it's got so much space. You're not going to do that on any of the trailerables. Mm-hmm. They, they're, they're fine. You can have friends over, you know, have a couple folks over for dinner, but uh, it's not going to be like you would get with a, a Great Harbor 47 where it's not really uncomfortable at all to entertain 25 people on one of those boats. So you give up stuff like that in a trailable trawler. Do you give up anything that's important to cruising? No, I don't think so. So how big do today's trailables get? You know, what's kind of the maximum length and beam that you can transport on a trailer that you are towing? Um, You know, talk about number of staterooms, what kind of features and things can you fit in that space as well? (laughs) Well, I think to identify first off what what I'm going to call trailerable Mm -hmm. uh, is important. And when we're talking about trailerable, we're talking about something that is capable of being towed behind a standard truck, not not a semi-trailer or semi-truck. You know, uh, obviously, we send our big 47s. uh, We're inland here, so every one of our big boats gets trailered over to the ocean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
we don't really call those trailable trawlers. They're simply not. And and that's a, a forty to fifty dollar a mile kind of trek. So what we're talking about is a boat that can be and, and part of what we may get a little bit of argument from some of our competitors about is that we like to talk about a boat that's going to be ramp launchable and retrievable. Mm-hmm. So that's a big deal. Um, if you can't ramp launch it and ramp retrieve it, um, its trailer ability is, is severely limited. So that usually dictates a relatively shallow draft um, and something that can be put on a trailable on a trawler a trailer that's going to hook to the back of a truck can be pulled out of a ramp. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that's it, the other thing is is that I I feel personally that you're fine up to a maximum of let's say eleven ten something under twelve feet. As soon as you hit that magic number of twelve feet, trailerability becomes a considerably different issue. In a number of places in the country, you have to have front and rear cars, uh, escort cars, and things like that. Whereas, generally speaking, anything under 12 feet, that's not the problem with, uh, not an issue with. Um, you know, you're going to put an overwidth banner on it and go down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, weight is critical. Uh, a lot of today's pickup trucks are pretty good to tow up to about 18,000 pounds. Uh, some of them over that. But realistically, if you're going to buy kind of a, a more standard, say, three-quarter ton pickup truck, you know, you're going to be a limited to, say, 12, 13, 14,000 pounds. Okay. So you want to stay within that range and under 12 feet. Length, there are some length parameters, but basically your pickup truck with a 35-foot boat behind it uh, is kind of about the upper limit. And, and that's why our boat is sitting there at about 35 feet. You don't want to stretch over that too much. Okay. And just for clarification, the 12 feet you've mentioned is height. Um, Negative. No, no, no. That's width. Width. Okay. That's Are width. there now, height is a different issue. Mm-hmm. Um, once you get over 13.6, height-wise off the road, that's the highest point of the boat off of the highway surface. Once you're over 13.6, it gets a little dicey. Mm-hmm. So keeping that height down is important also. And, of course, you need to add the trailer height to the boat itself. Right. That's um, the boat on the trailer, uh, the height above the, you know, above the road surface. Right. And for all the reasons, Ken, that you started out explaining to us, uh, trailerable tugs and trawlers have become popular. So there are a lot of models out there. But, of course, since you make the TT35, that's what you have experience with. You can give us the specs on that. So as an example, um, you know, give us give us the length, the beam, the weight of the, the TT35. TT30- the TT35 is uh, right at 11 feet wide, about 10.9. Um, it's 35 feet long. That's the haul length. That's the way that the Coast Guard measures them uh, mm-hmm. on the trailer. It's a little bit longer than that. Um, you know, the towing length of that from the from the ball hitch to the back of the the very back of the engines is probably about 37 feet. Mm-hmm. That's all legal with no problem. And of course, the height. Uh, you know, no problem. You're at about uh, ten nine or so off of the road surface, so height is not a problem at all. Mm-hmm. The weight on that is a little over ten thousand pounds, um, going down the highway with liquids in it, fuel and water. Mm-hmm. Now that makes for a that makes for a pretty reasonable tow package. Not really a problem. You know, you have to get a little bit used to the over width, um, but but we've been towing stuff in that range for for 45 years doesn't bother us much. I get it. 
a lot of folks are not going to uh, really feel comfortable. And for those people, having these boats moved around commercially is really pretty much of an effortless kind of deal um, and, and inexpensive. Uh, today, you can call up uh, any number of trucking companies, and they're going to move that boat for about $2.50 to $4.50 a mile. Um, it, to give you a little bit of an idea about trailer ability, we had I, – I, for years, I've always wanted to get one of my boats over to do the inside passage to Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, to take one of our full-size trawlers over there is about a $30,000 event. And that's whether we go via the Panama Canal on its own bottom or if we load it on a truck and tow it to Seattle and plop it in the water there. Either one's going to be about the same price. Uh, taking it by truck obviously is a little bit of a better deal, but it's not very cheap. Thirty grand's a big chunk out of your out of your you know your full budget. You can take a TT thirty five and you can get it delivered out there in in the range pretty easily in the range of uh, four to five thousand mm-hmm. dollars, considerably cheaper. And Absolutely. of course that's, that's you know so on your big trawler that's thirty grand over thirty grand back, and of course on the small boat it's it's the same thing. It's you know. 3500 4500 over, the same kind of money coming back, but that's dramatically cheaper. Right. So if we have people listening who have been planning to do the Great Loop in 2020, and then this news about the waterway, uh, the Illinois waterway closure came out and put a big crimp in their plans, but the, if they're shopping for a boat and are listening to this and thinking, well, maybe a trailerable is the way to go, what other features can you mention that might make it a win for the loop, um, you know, anything about fuel economy or speed or, or the price point that makes it attractive for loopers? Well, you know, on a, on a boat like, uh, like we do, a couple of things are kind of interesting. This is really one of the first trawlers that's focused on having outboard power, um, and it was designed for outboard power. There's, there's a few others that they've kind of dropped back and took the inboards out and kind of did some modifications and put outboards on them. Um, but this boat was designed from the beginning to, to use outboards, and the fuel mileage is excellent. I mean, we're talking about a boat that'll get, uh, you know, and, and, and not untypical of a lot of uh, small outboard cruisers that are designed from the get-go as outboard cruisers. You know, you can expect at displacement speeds to get seven to eight miles to the gallon out of these boats. Mm-hmm. Now. You're not going to get that at planing speeds. The faster you go, the more fuel you burn, and it's kind of a linear kind of thing. So that's always something to think about. Hey, I pushed the throttle up. I'm getting there quicker. It's costing me more money per mile. Um, not a big deal. Uh, it's it's just the way that that works, and eh, not much of a choice about it. Um, mm-hmm. They One of the really sweet things when you start talking about again, trawlerable or trailerable cruisers, rather, is that an awful lot of them are going to be outboard powered. And and, uh, typically you're going to see multiple engines, you know, a pair of engines, so you have good redundancy. And the other thing is in in our trawlers, our regular Great Harbor trawlers that have diesels inside, you know, we get up in the morning and we spend uh, 10, 15 minutes down in the engine room making sure all the nuts and bolts are tight, everything looks good, we don't have any leaks, on and on and on. With the outboards, you have a cup of coffee, you turn on the key, and if you don't have any uh, warning lights, you start it and go. Mm -hmm. If you do have a warning light, 
you know, to be perfectly honest with you, there's not much you can do about it. Uh, you're going to check the oil, see that the oil's fine, and other than that, you're going to fire up the other motor and drive on to where you can get some service for that engine and call it a day. Right. Uh, additionally, long term, one of those engines goes bad on you. It is a couple of hours to change one of those engines, and very, very inexpensive. These are typically small outboards. Uh, in our case, they're 60 horsepower. That's that's not uh, uncommon in the marketplace out there for them to be reasonably small motors, um, and they're they're inexpensive to replace. Plus, typically these things have lifespans of of anywhere from two to four thousand hours, which while that's not as long a lifespan as a lot of the big diesels, that's still more hours than most people would ever put on their trawler in 10 years of cruising. Mm-hmm. Right. So lots of benefits, um, lots of reasons to take a trailer, trailerable cruiser on the loop. Let's talk for a moment, though, about logistics for this, because if someone were to have a trailerable boat, um, leave their home port on the boat, cruise the waterways of the Great Loop, for several months perhaps and wind up in Chicago and not be able to proceed because of the Illinois waterway, their trailer is back home. So how difficult do you think it would be for them to locate a trailer? Do they have to go back home by car and get their trailer? You know, How can logistically they pull the boat in Chicago and transport it to the, the Mississippi River to continue the loop? No, well, I have to tell you, Kim, first off, a number of our customers have not, they don't even own trailers for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they decided, hey, look, you know, I'm not going to spend that money. I'm just going to, I can take that same money and I can have the boat picked up and dropped off any number of places over a fairly long period of time, several years of, of that kind of uh, life, um, and and still not get to the cost of a trailer. Mm-hmm. So pretty easy. Uh, you can go online. Kind of an interesting. There's there's numerous websites out there. They uh, you kind of tell them what you've got. And they do a reverse bid on the whole thing. It's, they call it a Polish auction, and it's the the price goes down. So one guy says, "Well, I'll make that move for five thousand dollars." The next guy looks at it and says, "Well, I'm going to be coming back from there empty. I'll do it for two thousand dollars." So oftentimes the the prices that we see customers moving boats around for is really really cheap, uh, cheap enough to where you can never ever make that trip yourself for that kind of money. Uh, because like I say, they're they're deadheading back. There's numerous trailers uh, out there on the market, and have been forever, that are custom designed, that are designed to pick up basically any kind of haul that you have. They're all hydraulically actuated arms. They'll slide in underneath the boat, pick it up, cradle it very comfortably, and strap it down and head down the road. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's a very, very common thing. A situation like you're talking about where now we have to get around the bridge uh, up there. They're they're putting in a new bridge, and so we've got to somehow or other get our boat out of the water uh, and, and move this relatively short distance. You can expect to do something like that typically very easily in, in the, you know, two or $300 range to move around that that obstruction there in the waterway. Uh, move it a few miles down the road, put it back in the water, and be on your way. 
Yeah. So obviously, and, and if for those who have been listening to this series of podcasts on this issue, this is certainly one of the more cost effective options, even compared to, you know, winter storage or anything along that line where you actually stop your loop and pick it up the next year. Uh, this allows you to keep going and is, it's pretty cost effective, too. And just kind of an anecdotal story about uh, several years ago when the Asian carp issue first started to pop up. And there was a time period where they started that electric fish barrier outside of Chicago that's still there today. But when they initially turned that on, uh, there was a period of time that they wouldn't let boats go through because they weren't sure what the effect on the boats would be at that point. Point. So loopers were stuck there for, for a, a bit of time. And we had one looper who was on a trailerable boat that found a guy with a trailer, pulled it out and hauled it down the road on the other side of the barrier and dropped it back in. And he continued his loop that year and everyone else eventually finished, um, but we're, we're stuck waiting a little bit longer. So the trailerable idea has worked in the past when there have been these kinds of obstructions. So Ken, anything I didn't mention or ask about that you think is important for people to know about trailerable? Well, look, I would just say that that today, uh, that there's a whole lot more people out there with trailers that are available to move boats around. And that's one of the things that in, in our company, you know, we fully expect to, uh, along the way, make our services available for people that want to move boats. Um, you know, if you want to start in Chicago, uh, for whatever reason, your boat's down here, you've got it in covered storage, you know, we're happy to take the boat up there and throw it in the water for you. Uh, make sure everything's squared away. Of course, it goes up on a trailer that's completely fit for that. But any of these hydraulic trailers that we're talking about are going to be more than adequate to carry uh, these boats. And these guys that are doing it, the only thing, the only caveat uh, that I would say that exists is to just check on their insurance. I've never found one uh, where a guy said, no, I don't have any insurance. No, it's up to you. Uh, that doesn't fly very well. But you're going to see that almost all of these guys are professionals and they've got insurance, and it's a pretty straightforward thing. Make sure that the limits of their of their insurance are going to be suitable for the boat that you've got. Uh, you know, if you've got a $300,000 boat, you don't want a guy that's got a maximum $100,000 policy. Uh, today, uh, all kinds of center consoles, sport fish boats are being hauled from New England down to Florida and Florida back to New England. They make that trek on a regular basis because it's so much cheaper than running those boats up there. There's a ton of people that are perfectly set up to haul these trailable boats with no problem at all. Again, got to stay below that 12-foot mark. When you go above that, the costs go up dramatically. And as a practical matter, 18,000 pounds is probably the upper limit uh, to, to do it inexpensively anyways. All right, perfect. Ken Fickett, thank you for sharing your time with us today and, and all this great information on uh, trailerable cruisers. Good talking to you, Kim. Thanks a lot. Yeah, we'll be back in a moment. We're going to take a brief pause for a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, our guest will be Molly Rivera. She is with Cross Country Boat Transport, and we'll be talking about some of the things that Ken brought up. If your boat is bigger than those parameters, or if it's really not designed to be a trailer trailerable boat. Molly will share some of the things that you might have to consider if you want to pull the boat out and transport it with uh, being over the sizes that, that Ken has talked about. So we will be back in a moment. Did you know that every mile of the Great Loop is covered by Skipper Bob guides? Its mile-by-mile -mile format is a great planning tool and essential at the helm. On the most popular routes and side trips, Skipper Bob covers preparation, navigation, bridges and locks, and the best places to visit. 
Caregiver Bob guides are updated each year, and its website keeps you current with navigation alerts and cruising news. To check it out, go to skipperbob.net. Skipper Bob is a proud Admiral Sponsor of AGLCA. Welcome back to Great Loop Radio. For the second part of our podcast today, we are going to talk about transporting your boat over the roadways if you don't have a boat that's trailerable. Uh, Let me start that over again. (laughs) Sorry. Since we're right at the beginning, it makes it a little easy to edit. So let me do that again. Welcome back to Great Loop Radio. For the second half of our podcast today, we're going to talk about transporting your boat by truck if you can't trailer it yourself. If you don't have a trailerable boat, if it's a little bit bigger than that, it still is possible to accomplish the loop in 2020, even with the Illinois waterway closed, by trucking your boat, depending on the boat. So we've brought in some experts on that, and uh, Molly Verver is our next guest, and she is with Cross County Boat Transport. Molly, thanks for joining us today on Great Loop Radio. Oh, absolutely. Glad to be here. Uh, we reached out to you because some of our members have recommended your company in the past. Um, so tell us a little bit about cross-country boat transport and your experience with trucking boats. Sure. So cross-country has been around since the early 90s. Um, there's, I don't know, some 30, 40 uh, years of, of collective experience with, with boat transport. Uh, we do everything from um, you know, moving smaller boats that are on trailers just as a power unit only up to 55, 60, 60-foot 60 boats uh, across the country. We go all over the lower, lower 48, um, and we've, we've had experience with, you know, oversized and tall and, and all of that, kind of everything in between. Great. So we're going to start with the basics because myself and probably most of our listeners really don't know too much about what would be involved with trucking a boat that normally is not carried on a trailer. Uh, So to start off with, what are the size requirements? I'm sure not every boat can actually be transported on the roadways. Sure. Yeah. So most of, so anything that's considered oversized as far as the width or the boat's beam, anything over eight, six, eight feet, six inches is considered oversized. That requires permits. In some states, it requires escorts. Uh, we have transported things up to 16, 18 feet wide. Um, it gets a little trickier, you know, as you go in, in different places, um, metropolitan areas, et cetera, uh, but we, we find ways to make it work. And then as far as, as height is concerned, 13 feet 6 inches is considered legal height. We can go up to about 14 feet without too much trouble. Anything over that you get into needing a pilot car or a, a height pole car, um, to help out with with the transport, which it's doable up to a certain um, up to a certain height, um, but it does it does kind of get a, l- a little bit you know costlier as you're 16, 17 feet tall, okay. um, and that's loaded height. Our trailers take up about 12 to 14 inches. Okay, so that 12 to 14 inches is is, in, is included in the you know loaded 14 or so height. feet. Yep. Okay, so for most of our member boats, then, that may mean that they have to uh, remove some parts in order to meet that height requirement. Um, you know, sometimes it's radar arches, sometimes it's flybridges. Um, is that something that you do as part of your service, or is there a separate service that people need to contract with if they need to take certain parts off of the boat? Sure. So the make ready, that's what we call, you know, removing any of the you know, whether it's an arch or a flybridge or, um, you know, any of that prop, even if it's if the boat has inboards, we have the props come off. Um, but all of that, as long with the loading and the unloading of the boat, 
would be handled by the marinas on each end. So you're going to want to find a marina that's got a great service department. And, you know, we'll have uh, recommendations depending on where people are um, are coming out and, and going back in of places that we've worked with. Having, you know, almost 30 years of experience, we've we've been around. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so that's something that's, that's contracted separately. Okay. And, and this, this may be an unfair question because there are so many different types of boats, but is there kind of a rule of thumb that you can give us about the cost to transport a boat? If somebody's considering this as an option um, to bypass that section of the closed waterway, before they can really seriously consider it, they'll need to start to have some kind of an idea of what the costs might be. So can you give us any kind of a ballpark on what it might cost to transport a boat? So unfortunately, that is so tricky just because it changes so dramatically between how wide the boat is, how tall the boat is, and then by how many miles. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's for as a, just a general rule of thumb, um, if you have a boat that is less than 12 feet wide and it's legal height, it's going to be about $5 per mile. And that will include all of the fuel sur- – there, well, we don't charge any fuel surcharges, but that includes all of the permits and, and any – Anything um, that's required for that that move, as well as your boat is insured up to $500,000 on our cargo policy. Um, So, yeah. Okay. And I assume that that wouldn't include any of the make ready then since that's a separate contractor. Correct. Yep. Correct. So then I also assume that it goes up from there if you are talking about something that's wider than than 12 feet because you need additional vehicles and, and things like that. Any kind of, you know, ballpark on the high end of how much it could start to run? Um, well, up to 8 to $9 per mile. Depend- I mean, and those are for the, you know, the 14, 15-foot wide boats. Okay. That is fair enough. Any other preparations that you would suggest the boat owners do to the boat other than what a marina is going to do to make ready? Um, I always encourage everyone, we have, you know, paperwork that we send out. Um, Just read through it. And anytime anybody has questions, call, call, call. I'm always happy to answer any questions, whether it's you know, any, any prep that needs to be done or, you know, what the expectations are as far as um, what the marina is responsible, what the owner is responsible, what we're taking care of, any of that. It's, um, it, we're just, we're always welcome or always open to answering any questions. That's great. And that's very helpful because, like I said, most people don't have experience in this area at all. Yep. Yep. Um, so just in, in talking with some of our members who have boats that they're, you know, considering this as a potential option, uh, basically, they're going to have to pull the boat out in the Chicago area, uh, but most likely shipping locations would be someplace in the St. Louis area where they could put the boat back into the water in the Mississippi, which is bypassing the Illinois waterway, or um, heading kind of straight west to the Davenport, Iowa area, mm-hmm. in which case they'd be on the upper Mississippi kind of doing a, a little section that normally isn't done of the loop, which would be kind of exciting for a lot of people. Sure. Um, do you have any recommendations from a shipping perspective or a trucking perspective? Is one of those a better option over the other? I wouldn't really say that one is better than the other. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of for the experience that they're looking for. Um, and then finding a marina that can fit, that can accommodate a boat of their size. I'm sure mm-hmm. that you've got some that are smaller than others. So, you know, you just, you always want to make sure that you're asking all the right questions um, and just making sure that that you have all of the information that you need from from any place that you're considering taking your boat. Okay. And that's something that most uh, transport companies for boats could also help them with uh, 
finding the haul-out facilities that they've used in the past if it's a popular area, I assume. I know that we are, are always happy to do that. Yep. Okay. Well, excellent. Is there anything that I've left out that you would want people to know if they're considering transporting their boat? No, actually, I think you did a really great job of, of covering everything. Well, thank you. And we appreciate you being available to us and answering some of these questions. Um, And for you and for our listeners out there, as we get closer to that 2020 date when the waterway will close, we will start to poll some of our members um, or or all who are interested, actually, and start to find out which of the options we've been presenting they are planning for. So if we do find that there's a big group that is planning to transport over the roadways in some way, uh, we'll have you back and, and ask you some more detailed questions and gather some additional information. I would be happy to be there. Yep, definitely. All right. Molly, thank you for joining us. And to our listeners, thank you for listening again this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Uh-huh.